for January 1st, 2024. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 809. It's tough to end a squid game. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are gathered together to celebrate. And what what do we have to celebrate today? Happy New Year! Hey! 2024, here we come. It's dropping on, uh, dropping on midnight. Actually, midnight. We come out at midnight on New Year's Day. Three, two, one! (laughs) It probably doesn't. (laughs) Just start spreading the news. The um, yeah, the ball, the ball has dropped on the overthinking it, uh, the overthinking it podcast, and so uh, here we are to uh, to talk about the year that was, the year to come. Um, we're 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 excited now. There's I'm I'm Matt Rather uh, here with me, our fellow podcasters, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hello, Matt. And uh, and Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to 2024. Now, Mark, there is one. Uh, cultural phenomenon that has been mm-hmm. markedly absent from the Overthinking It podcasts, and I think you know to kick us off today in our uh, in our round robin uh, year in review episode, um, <laughs> you want to talk about it. So what? Uh, tell me what? Uh, uh, tell me what? What have we not talked about? Uh, what, oh, you know, oh, thing? yeah. By Matt, let me tell you about the hot TikTok trend where kids open up cans of baked beans and just keep doing that. Just can after can after can. Is okay, that called like, is that we, called bean dad? Is that what a bean dad is? Or is that like bean daddy? Is it like a fetish thing? <laughs> I, I'm just making that up. Um I just throwing that out there as a hot as because for all we know, right, something amazing and huge is happening on TikTok and we are absolutely none the wiser. Um because I don't think any of us are really on it. I mean at this point, you know, feel free to correct me. Um but like I'm just putting that out there as a big cultural blind spot for us. Can I aside can I, from TikTok? Wait, can I can I hijack? Yeah. Can I hijack this and, and tell tell a quick story? Um, I I heard this story in Ireland. Speaking of opening cans of beans, uh, and and it's possible given the the incredible Irish. I think they call it the gift of the gab. Is that is that what they call it? The gift of the gab. It's possible that this it's just is the gift of gab. The gab is an overthinking it legend. Gab. <laughs> Although Gab could be Gab, never mind. Both I wonder ways. If Gab, so. I wonder if Gab still listens. I, you know, I hope so. I, hope she uh, enjoys it if she does. I have a great deal of aloha uh, mm-hmm. for Gab. Um, so the uh, the uh, when I was in Ireland, I was told the story. I was staying uh, in Dunleary, which is a little bit south of Dublin, and uh, there's a neighborhood there called, uh, or uh, a little south of there called Dalkey. Um, which is where a lot of like fancy people live. A lot of like uh, Irish celebrities live there. And my host, his grandparents also lived there and had for, for, you know, decades and decades. And, uh, said uh oh sure and if my parents were i'm not going to do the voices i can't do the voices i can't do do all the voices this is this given given the gift of gab this is all likely to be bs but he said my uh my my parents were telling me that they go out on their beach uh they make a little fire on the thing you know in the cold months uh the winter months or early spring and they, you know, watch the waves crash and enjoy sort of sitting out there in little chairs on, on the beach. And they said, Oh, Mark, sure. I'm, I'm just using your name, Mark, because you're here. Mark, sure. And if the, the, the uh, uh, a little tramp didn't hobble up to us, he opened our can of beans. He warmed it on our fire and, uh, ate his little beans, uh, wished us well and hobbled away. And then a couple days later, the same little tramp. I think we have a nice little tramp, uh, uh, you know who comes around who comes around the neighborhood and uh so then you know weeks pass and then uh this guy's hanging out with his uh with his um parents on on the beach and uh, uh lo and behold he sees kind of a disheveled looking you know unshaven figure walking walking up and oh mark sharon if this isn't our little tramp here and uh indeed a man sort of short statured uh sort of unkempt looking man comes up opens the cans of bean what well, you know chats for a second warms his cans of beans on the on the fire there wishes everyone well and uh goes away and my host turns to his parents and says mom dad that was bono Anyway, Mark. What? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> what? Uh, 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 tell us about tell us about this bean this bean trend. You know, 
Um, do, okay, do, first do of people all, take two kinds of beans and mix them together <laughs> and have like a have like a, a pinto great northern or a uh, a black and I don't know, Mark. You know, we've just willed this into existence in the world. You realize that, right? Like I just made it up off 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 top of my dome. Um, but uh, you know, some enterprising teen is going to be listening to this podcast and we'll start this as a trend tomorrow on TikTok. I can't wait. Anyway, so. Two things. First of all, I 100% believe that story is true. Um, I cannot be convinced otherwise. <laughs> Second, um, what we're actually going to talk about, which is that, okay, the other big pop culture blind spot for the overthinking of podcasts in 2023, other than whatever is actually going on on TikTok, is, of course, the Barbenheimer movie phenomenon from this past summer. So we, have not, we haven't talked about either of these movies on, on the podcast, and I might be curious to, to hear about why. Um I actually saw Oppenheimer on a uh, proper 70 millimeter IMAX um, and was pretty impressed by it, but not quite taken as everyone else was. Um, didn't get to see the Barbie movie uh, until it dropped on Max for streaming just this past week and thought it was both weirder and better than I was expecting. And my expectations were both were pretty high. So um, you know, I'm left with this awkward uh, position of trying to talk about both of these things together in the same phenomenon, even though my viewing of them was separated by many months. Um, and I saw them in very different kinds of settings. Um, and so, you know, the phenomenon, I guess my first question here for the two of you is does the Barbenheimer phenomenon exist outside of that very specific moment of time in the summer when the movies are really coming back and everybody was, crowding to the theaters for a big cinematic experience, wearing their pink slash, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Oppenheimer suits to, to invite the theater. Yeah. But the, their theaters. Yes. So is the Barbenheimer thing outside of summer 2023 is my question. Uh, I mean, my, my answer, I, maybe, uh, maybe I'm a bit of a wet blanket on this one. Uh, but you, you correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I in retrospect, my, my gut feeling is that Barbenheimer is a way that dudes rationalize the overwhelming success of the Barbie movie by pairing <laughs> it with a movie that they're into so that they can say that we won, right? Like that we did well. That, that's not fair to say entirely, because obviously— That is a very strong Ken move, to be fair. Yeah, they, they also—Ryan <laughs> Ryan Gosling as Ken has been such a large presence— in uh in social media for dudes in the course of the time since the movie has come out but yeah i i feel like the the two they did do some interviews right where margot robbie and uh kieran it's not what's his last name it's not kieran gillian is it kieran, is his name? kieran culkin the, kieran the culkin. brother of yes. macaulay culkin right who yes, played yes, yes. fuller in the yes. the Petty, peaky blinders right Yes. Yeah, exactly. And Pinky Blind. The, the name you're looking for is, is Cillian Murphy. Is Cillian Murphy. So, okay, Cillian, not Killian. Got it. Cillian, uh, C- I, I don't know. Oh, no. Well, I feel I feel like recently Margot Robbie and Cillian Murphy did an interview together where she wore pink and he wore black, and it was kind of elegant and well done. And in that sense, the juxtaposition still exists. I think it exists as something that can be recalled. Like, I think if you, it has a certain amount of poetry to it because there's so many dyads, you know, uh, here other than just the Barbie movie and the Oppenheimer movie, you know? There's like pink and black. There's like joy and grief. There's like uh, uh, chocolate you know, and kind peanut of butter. Like irony and blah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, I got one. A desert and beach. There yes, go, right? yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh man, they really, they really beached Japan really hard in uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> no, that's not. That's too soon. It's still too soon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's there. I feel like it, sure, it has yeah, yet to be yeah. fully cashed out. Like, I feel like there was a certain promise to it and there was an excitement to it and a moment to it. And I would love to see what happens next. Like if there, the Barbie sequel is going to come out at some point, is it going to come out alongside another like big budget prestige historical drama or like it's going to come across uh, with another movie about atomic weapons or about scientists? What if every time a Barbie movie comes out, there's a scientist biopic <laughs> that runs alongside it? Uh, and, and like uh, there uh, are science Barbies along with the lawyer Barbies well, and President yeah. Barbies that you know <laughs> Barbie is its mean, own like, science movie and frankly Pete it's <laughs> sexist to suggest otherwise <laughs> well you know I mean I guess it's not just that Oppenheimer's I guess Oppenheimer's more of a manager of scientists right uh, I mean you watched the movie Mark I didn't actually manage to get to the theater to see it um, 
but I can see it, it now. The answer is both. Um, okay. But okay, I got your, the, the, the bulletproof pitch here for the biopic about a scientist to bow opposite of Barbie 2, which is Thomas Midgley Jr., who, if you don't know, is the inventor of both leaded gasoline and chlorofluorocarbons. He is, a, he is perhaps the most deadly scientist in the world. <laughs> Actually, yeah. the most deadly scientist in the world, unlike Wappenheimer, who really had the potential to be the most deadly scientist in the world. Right, right, right. So, you know, some people dream and some people get out there and make the world change. I have, so Peter, I, have a, I have a different perspective on this because my like my media diet consists of the entertainment press as opposed to yours, which apparently consists of like red pill chan sites. And I think that- <laughs> no, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the right rather than rather than thinking of this as a as a like a retrospective it's the com- youtube recommendations that people are paying <laughs> to put on my youtube from the red pill chance like oh. that i have to keep right clicking and going don't recommend this channel don't recommend this channel and close them every single time when it comes when it comes around to me remind me remind me what um Remind me to talk about uh, being red pilled by YouTube because uh, my friends, it has happened to me this oh, year. Oh God, it's um, awful! But I, no, I so like what what my experience of this was that it was largely a forward looking phenomenon that w- it, it was kind of a genius marketing move where where a little bit it was like um, a little bit it was like well uh, Christopher Nolan had been. Uh, had been had left Warner Brothers, right? Uh, Paramount, I think, released Oppenheimer, and they had established that date um, for a long, long time. And we actually had for many, many months a countdown clock in my neighborhood, a billboard uh, coming off La Siena Boulevard. Now, where do you get from La Siena Boulevard? Well, a couple places. You can take the four or five. You can take Slauson. You can take, but um, you know, what coming are to- you doing here, <laughs> Christopher Nolan, Cillian Murphy? What are you doing here? So they finally we, uh- figured out a way to solve his woman problem, right? It's just- <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> they um, not Cillian Murphy's Christopher Nolan's. I so I actually didn't know what this was, but there was this like yeah. countdown clock on a billboard, and I think it was being. Uh, it was, you know, this was how they advertised it in a lot of different cities around, uh, around the country. So, uh, they had, they had established this date. They really, you know, they called the shot. This, they threw their old timey fedora, uh, over the wall and this, this was their date. And then, um, Barbie released by Warner, uh, Christopher Nolan's old studio, you know, which, which he left kind of in a huff was, was like, no, we're, we're going to take this date for, uh, the Barbie movie. And I think there were like behind the scenes. So it set up this, it set up this false dichotomy of like, which movie are you going to see on this weekend? I remember that. Yeah. Barbie or Oppenheimer. And I think it really was kind of an organic phenomenon where it, it was, sort of on it was like very online like where people were were basically like porque no los dos right like let, let's do it and kind of created this created this barbenheimer thing which was a like a marketer's dream you know like because it it like it branded the weekend it uh it, it made accrued, it an event yeah it made it an event right exactly like and that's that's sort of what you need um, like Barbie is not a lot of, uh, it's not a movie with a lot of CGI punching. I mean, sure, it is celebrated IP and it was a, a big budget movie, but, but it wasn't like a, a Marvel movie, you know, and that like, um, and it really created a sense of, it created a sense of moment, uh, around the, the weekend, which I, I propose re- actually redounded to the benefit of, of both films. Um, and, the the way i i kind of know that it wasn't that it's not a sort of ex post facto rationalization but you know in the way that the 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 prefrontal cortex is there to rationalize your impulses and not actually to reason out uh you know what you believe or think um the is that marketers have have now been trying to recreate it by like creating that sense of moment and event around um around other movies completely without completely without success but i think it says something interesting about about the future of 
theatrical distribution, right? In that, like, in order to be successful, I don't think it needs to be a a $100 million, $200 million movie with a lot of CGI punching, but it does somehow need to be able to create to 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 hook on to something right to kind of create that sense of moment like to create that that to create the sense of eventness um that people are that sort of people are doing and it was actually really brilliant like it had a costume it had a way of everyone participating via social media that seemed organic like it was a really good of this you know if it were invented as a stunt it was a really well designed it would have been a really well designed stunt i mean i think maybe it was so good because it wasn't invented as uh as a stunt but it i i think it does say something interesting about about what uh movie marketing is going to be like going forward and what the sort of the successful the box office successes are going to be like um going forward they're going to be the ones that have a uh, a really strong, a really strong sense that it's, you know, that it's an event that it's sort of, uh, that it's sort of participatory, um, that, that, you know, and that there is a kind of self-expressive utility, um, involved in, in participating in, in the, the movie theater, the movie theater event. Um, are you, so are you, are you, uh, are you pink pilled Mark? Are you a Barbenheimer pilled? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed both the movies in different ways, for sure. Um, I, I almost am hesitant to open up the whole can of worms about uh, the Barbie movie uh, for all sorts of different reasons, not the least of which because it's the three dudes here, three Kens here. <laughs> um, the movie is very Mark, much about the patriarchy. Did you not um, take? Yeah. Did you not take the message? I am Kenneth. Mostly, oh, Mark, you are you are Kenneth. You know. I'm just Ken. Anywhere else, I'd be. You know a what? I I need um yeah I, the same here. Um I, I really I I feel like I need a, a belt buckle with my name in the Metallica font. Yes. Um I feel like that was the takeaway for that movie. Um and that's the last thing I'll say about about Barbie. But I have one other thing specific thing I wanted to get on the table about the Oppenheimer movie, which I was uh, very excited about this um uh, discovery of mine, this insight that uh, I really wish we'd be able to talk about and overthinking on it. So this, the last podcast, or the first podcast of the new year, or the last podcast of, of, of the old year, um, is my opportunity to say it. So, uh, just first of all, Matt, I know you saw it. But, uh, Pete, did you get to see Oppenheimer or not? No. No, you I didn't see, see Oppenheimer. Uh, I saw, I saw Barbie. See I saw, I'm no, okay. went, anyway, went, this, is, this yeah. is not so much a spoiler. They build an atomic bomb. Um, anyway, one of the scientists, at, at, the, at the crucial moment of the Trinity uh, test, which you know, the tension is just ratcheting up, ratcheting up, ratcheting up. Um, even though you know it's going to happen. Again, a testament to the power of Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. One of the scientists slathers himself in sunscreen because, you know, he doesn't want to get sunburned from the atomic blast. Um, and he turns to a military man um, because, you know, famously, right at the Los Alamos uh, installation. Um, you know, the military and the science uh, you know, aspects of the operation were constantly kind of, you know, uh, struggling to cooperate with each other and, and coexist and collaborate, et cetera. Um, anyway, so the scientist slides a little sunscreen, turns to a general and asks, did I get it all in? And he clearly did not. <laughs> He's like, you know, kind of like white as a ghost. And the general looks at him and just says, yeah. And um, on the surface, of course, it is you know, just kind of like the rivalry playing out there where the general is just going to let the, the dumb scientist um, you know, look like a buffoon at this crucial moment of history. But is this not a perfect Downton Abbey moment, right? Where um, the the sunscreen, you know, him failing to you know to rub the sunscreen in and kind of you know thinking that he he had successfully protected himself this way is uh, a, a metaphor for the way that the scientists um, were kind of rationalized the away their responsibility for unleashing this terrible force into the world. Is this not a wonderful Downton Abbey moment? It sounds lovely. Definitely. I think any movie, I, all movies would be better if they had sunscreen scenes in them. Because, <laughs> uh, well, well, let me rephrase. A lot of movies have people in them who should be wearing sunscreen and never do. And that just is irresponsible. Um, but no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't, I wonder if instead of saying that, they're talking about the scientists covering themselves from responsibility for the bomb. Wasn't isn't there a big part of the movie where it's the risk of something really terrible happening, and the military kind of assures them that it's okay 
there uh, is that the scientists among themselves um, come up with this idea that there's a risk that setting up a nuclear reaction will annihilate the universe. But the scientists then kind of uh, like rationalize it for themselves. So it's not quite that. Okay, so there there isn't a dynamic in this movie where the military reassures the scientists that they didn't do anything wrong and that everything is fine when the scientist knows that something has happened that's like terribly bad. Well, I think more generally speaking, yeah. There's, okay. there's plenty of that. Okay. That makes sense. It's a weird relationship, right? To be to be the smart person asking the person you don't think is the smart person to tell you whether you're doing the right job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean it sounds like a down abbey moment to me. Were they drinking tea? Did he have a nice hat on? Did he wear a cool hat? I think he wore some cool everyone, hats. In everyone in Oppenheimer was wearing a nice was wearing a nice hat. Excellent. That's it was great. a very hat heavy movie. Awesome. Pete, how was uh how was your year in, in media? Is there anything that, that stands out to you? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about one thing, which is that uh 2023 might be remembered as the year of not the squid game, right? <laughs> Where like this because Squid Game came out in 2022, right? uh the the original squid game uh show and was i think it was actually 2021 okay Um, yeah yeah. so late 2021 it came out got it and so that means that and of course we're waiting for the second season of squid game to happen but it has not happened yet so squid game of course netflix show from korea uh that is fictional about a fictional reality show where uh people down in their luck uh, or in bad economic situations are forced to we're not forced to because that's the point is that they they do it voluntarily. They are they are offered the opportunity to put their lives on the line against these other people uh, in a in a death match game of of uncertain provenance and rules. Like each round, they find out there's some new weird thing they have to compete in. And the ones who lose will die and the ones who don't uh, will progress. And it, it has all these intense morals. So this came out at the end of 2021. Then last year, 2022, was when everybody was planning on what they were going to do next, right? Oh, we're going to do another Squid Game thing. Oh, no, I have the idea to do this kind of Squid Game thing. And then 2023 is when you started seeing the shows come out that had been planned and made in 2022 that were references to the Squid Game. And I think Mark and I each watched different ones of these. And so... And I I don't remember whether I've talked about this extensively. I feel like I must have mentioned it in passing, uh, how much I've talked about this show on the podcast before. But I loved this show and wish that I, that anybody else would have watched it so that I could have talked about it on the podcast earlier. But, you know, now's the time, which is a show called Physical 100, which was another Korean show uh, that's on, that was on Netflix. And for a, sh- a hot minute, it was like the number one show on Netflix, but it was like a hot minute. And then it was gone. This was back in February. And uh, <laughs> it's no suits. <laughs> now, what is right? What is? Uh, sure. um, is does everybody watch suits now? I know that my wife watches suits on Netflix because it was her. Sh- it was a show that she had been watching. Is every is that what everyone watches on Netflix now? Yeah, is I mean, suits- it was the most the most popular show. They you know, they, it was the most popular show on Netflix. And so now everyone is relicensing their old shows to Netflix like they they uh they started licensing their old crap to Netflix, thinking like, oh, this is old crap. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll give it to these people who are radically overpaying for it. Turns out Netflix was not, and they used it to create a behemoth. And then everyone tried to keep their old IP, uh, to, to, you know, prop up their crappy streaming services. And, uh, it turns out now uh, they can't, they can't make streaming services and only Netflix can make a streaming service. And so everyone's back to licensing their stuff to Netflix. <laughs> and so Suits Sunrise, is now sunset. on Netflix. It's the most, right. uh, it's the most popular television show in the history of man or something like that. Yeah. So Physical 100 was not officially related to the Squid Game, but it was aesthetically very inspired by the Squid Game. And it had a really interesting premise, which was it had 100 contestants. It was a battle royale of 100 contestants. And each of them had some aspect in which they had, like, the best body, right? And, and so it was a whole bunch of different theses on what it meant to have, like, to be, like, the the best physical physical person, like, to have the best body. and And for each person... They uh, they cast their body in plaster and made a sort of white Greek style torso of just their just their torso from belt up. No arms, no neck. Uh, This is a co-ed game, both men and women in there. Um, I think it may be one or two others uh, as well. Almost overwhelmingly Korean contestants. Uh, there were some exceptions. There was a major league baseball player who had become a Korean baseball player who was in it. Um, and there was, you know, a, a, a dancer from Africa who was in it. 
Um, there was but there were some people who are not from Korea, but they were few and far between. Um, and and it was uh, and it was basically like a series of challenges that they would all compete in, and to and and people would be eliminated, and you would die. You just would you would have to take a sledgehammer to your torso of yourself to uh, signify that you in fact were not the number one physical specimen in in physical 100. Um, and so it was shot like a reality show where uh, they would interview people on the side and they would sort of talk about their lives. The first episode is just all of these people like walking into a room with all of their statues and like talking to each other about stuff. Um, and there's like a wide variety of people. There's uh, there's an actor who does motion capture for like all of the zombie shows and movies and, tell, and video games. So like a weird guy who's all triple jointed uh, and who can like crawl around in weird ways who does like all, like if you shot a zombie in a video game, you've probably shot him uh, and he was in it against like a bunch of like rugby players and wrestlers. There was a large contingent of winter Olympics athletes, including um, Yun Sung Bing, who is something of a, of a sex symbol, I believe uh, it was a bobsledder. Um, and who has a show where he tries all these different sports and he is like uh, super good at all of them. The celebrity frontman for the show, and I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Mark or Matt, is a gentleman by the name of Yoshihiro Akiyama, a.k.a. Chu Sung Hoon, a.k.a. Sexyama, who is a former uh, fighter. Uh, I guess he's currently a fighter uh, as well. Um, he's... Uh, He's 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 uh, and he's also famous for a TV show he was in uh, where he was a parent, like a father, you know, co-parenting with his wife, which was a sort of novel concept to have a man who was willing to kind of do that on television. Um, I think the show was kind of called Super Dad or something. And so he is like one of the oldest guys on the show and he's in his mid to late 40s. Uh, he's like 47 when they made the show. And and this contest, I'm going on about the show. I, lo- I love this show because the show, each episode then would show you some sort of titanic physical challenge that all these people had to do. And because it was a Korean show, and of course, uh, we don't have a lawyer on here, but Korean civil law is not very similar to American civil law. So the level of liability in this show would be utterly unfathomable to anybody uh, in the United States to ever do. Uh, one of the events was like, there's a medicine ball and a mud pit and two people just have to fight. And whoever has the medicine ball at the end of two minutes, uh, wins. And there were people and there, and it was some of them, you could pick your contestants and some of the fights were co-ed, which was crazy. And so there was this very intense balance in the show between people who would do anything to try to win versus people who were observing norms and customs in Korean society. Uh, there were military people there. There were sort of like people who are more senior or more junior in the military showing kind of deference to each other. There were young people bowing to old people, and, and, but also the young people were often stronger than the old people. And, and so there's a lot of like interesting dynamics in the show. But also like there were tons, every episode ended on a cliffhanger where you didn't know whether or how the team uh, or they do form teams at one point, would go on to like achieve the next challenge. Um, it was somewhat spoiled by a variety of terrible things that happened. Uh, one of the contestants was busted for some sort of horrible physical and sexual misconduct uh, that he com- did off of the outside of the course, uh, outside of the show. And then also the final ended up being somewhat fraudulent because one of the things that the show doesn't tell you is the rules of the game. They don't give you an exhaustive list of the rules and they don't tell you everything that happens. You're sort of experiencing the game from the perspective of the players. And so like you only learn some of the rules of the games that they're playing. Um, to give you an example, uh, there, one of the, the best game is a challenge and they were called quests. Uh, the best game was a game where your team, which was a team of like, I think five people, might have been four. I think it was five people had to carry bags of sand. So there's a big pit of sand on one side and there was a cylinder of sand on the other side, like in double there. And you had to fill the cylinder of sand as high as possible in a certain time limit. And you were up against another team and whichever team had more sand would win. And you had to like put the sand in bags, carry the sand up about like 15 or 20 feet of stairs, uh, build a bridge out of sort of planks and straps uh, walk across the bridge there and back uh, while carrying the sand and then like dump the sand into 
into this bucket that oh there was also a little choke point and you had to dump the sand in the bucket and so you had to organize with your team like who's building the bridge who's filling the sand what's our strategy are we going to put somebody here are you going to hand the sandbags off right like and so there was a lot of strategy in terms of like maximizing the uh physical abilities of the people on your team um that that is not obvious uh, if you haven't done stuff like CrossFit game competitions or like ruck games or 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 obstacle course racing or stuff where it's like you need to make really weird choices about how to like like budget your stamina based on something that you just figured out. Um, and so it was it's always a toss up as to who's going to win the game. And, and people didn't know this. Like there were teams that were super big and strong and it and it seemed like it was inevitable. But it's like, oh, I've seen stuff like this before. This other team can win because this team made a bunch of mistakes. Like at one point, there's an opportunity to set up a pulley system. And you operate the pulley system effectively to drastically reduce the effective weight of a large load of several tons that needs to be pulled up a ramp. And there's the question of whether each team is going to figure out that there's a pulley that they could use and how to use the pulley effectively to reduce the load. Or whether this team isn't going to figure it out or whether this team is going to like do it, but they're not going to have somebody calling out when to pull. So it's like this really complicated game, uh, which was also incredibly dangerous and like very strange in a variety of ways. Um, that, that was just such a joy to watch up until the very end when it was kind of blah um, because of the last challenge was just pull as much rope as you can in the time allotted. Uh, and then, by the way, the rope thing is going to stick and we're not going to show you that it did. So the ending is going to be a dispute because they had to restart the final like multiple times. But anyway, there'll be a season two. That's that's physical 100. Um, and there was like, you know, models uh, and, uh, and I said fighters. The wrestlers did really well. There was like there were there were there was like one there were several contestants who really jumped out. I feel like spoiling it at this point. There's no point uh, in I guess I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. But there's a particular female contestant who leads her team with like incredible sort of gravitas and self possession uh, against impossible odds because all of the none of the men will take women on their team <laughs> and and manages to like achieve some pretty impressive feats while doing that. Uh, and and that was kind of a very very cool moment. Uh, but anyway, Mark, you watched the other Squid Game reality show. Uh, uh, I say it's like Squid Game because the, the the events were guided by a voice that was projected into the arena. There was no physical host. Uh, the the clocks would sort of appear mysteriously. The 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 contest contests happened on exotic apparatus that would sort of appear on, and everyone would sort of walk into the room. Everyone would be like in the lounge, kind of wondering what the next thing will be. And then everyone walks into the room, and suddenly there's like a giant grid of steel, and everyone has to hang off of it for as much as possible, right? So like it has this real Squid Game vibe. It has this real Squid Game structure. It's not deadly. But it is there is this whole thing about kind of self image that's associated with it that I thought was really cool. Um, well, that sounds like the, the the mystery aspect of it uh, and kind of withholding information from contestants is, is really key. Oh yeah, because it only also the show only came out once a week. It wasn't like a binge all at once show. And so like so yeah, withholding information from the contestants and more importantly from the audience was really important to watching this show. Um, which is why I guess I'm not giving any of it away. You could watch all of it now, and it would probably be a lot less exciting. So I'm um, on the IMDP page for this. I'm looking at a still image. Is there also, like, staff with masks on, like, in the same way as Squid Game? I don't even remember but, it. I, did you see someone like that? It's entirely possible. I don't remember seeing any staff. Yeah, uh, I've just seen someone in the, in the background of a picture. Yeah, um, probably. Where it looks like a mask. I um, would not be surprised. They did not feature heavily in the show. The staff work okay. not, not featured. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at this. Uh, the More importantly, I'm looking at this uh, trailer of, of the gameplay here. Yes, definitely big Squid Game vibes. Here. Yeah, exactly. So it's like um, aesthetic of the Squid Game, but like also juxtaposed with sport. Um, and it's weird to watch a sports show where they don't tell you the score, like where they don't tell you who's winning. They don't tell you what the rules are. You're just right, like experiencing right. the emotional contest uh, between the people that are doing it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The Squid Game like uh, competition show that I saw on Netflix was, in fact, Squid Game. Yes, <laughs> so the branded one. The, the you, yeah. you, saw, you you ate the Oreos. I had the Hydrox. Mm, uh, indeed, yeah. mm, the original. And, <laughs> uh, I, I should also uh, just caveat that I didn't see all of it. My wife was uh, at seen it all, and I caught most of it. Let's put okay. it that way. Gotcha. Um, now. Uh, the physical 100, I think, benefits from um, being a little bit more straightforward in terms of its terms, its competition. Um, you know, it's like, you know, uh, look at these physical specimens and, you know, pit them against each other. And uh, who boy, this is going to be great. Right. Um, the 
Squid Game reality competition show is a much more complicated thing because everyone is, a, you know, had seen the fictional Squid Game show and they know what they're getting themselves into and they volunteer for it. And um, they're all there for the money. And uh, and they all, all but they also kind of come with their different levels of hardship uh, that they um, you know, for their personal stories and their in their backgrounds. It's not like Squid Game in that, like, you know, everybody is down on their luck. Right. And kind of over the barrel. Um, there's a rare range of people who are like, you know, like, I really need this money to I am literally retired and need something to do. <laughs> so you've got that. Um and the show, instead of the, the physicality, hinges very much on um, mental challenges. And of course, like uh, the game theory, the backstabbing, um, the cooperation, choosing to you know make alliances. You, um, contestants are repeatedly given an opportunity to basically disadvantage or eliminate or otherwise screw over their competition. And you see them wrestle with those uh, with those decisions. And I, I would say that, like, towards the 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 the, the first two thirds of it, seemed to make for pretty compelling television, actually. Right, like the show is messing with people, and people kind of understand that it is their role to um, mess with people, uh, but also uh, kind of balance that with genuine cooperation uh, up until it doesn't work anymore. And I will, you know, let me go ahead and spoil this here. If, if you really want to see um, how the Squid Game reality show uh, winds up, just just skip this. But um, I, I will, I'm very curious to get, Pete and Matt, your reaction to this, right? Now, like, just remember, right, you know, there's all sorts of games that some involve physicality and some of it is just straight up, you know, like, um, kind of like a game of mafia where everybody closes their eyes and, you know, like, you know, uh, you go around and, and you, someone's eliminated and they open their eyes and you, and you just have to, like, deduce and guess and just pick up on clues and, and do all that, right? So there's a wide range of those types of activities. The final competition basically comes down to, and I am not joking, Rock, paper, scissors, like multiple rounds of rock, paper, scissors, and then just luck. That determines the who wins between the final two. Now, if you remember, fictional squid game ends with a brutal physical combat, um, which I don't remember the exactly the, the rules and the terms for the titular squid game. But basically, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the two finalists wind up wrestling on the ground with each other. Um, so it's very much not that it just boils down to rock, paper, scissors and chance. And it felt very anticlimactic. Um, was there another way to do it when it's just down to two and you kind of you know eliminated a bunch of other variables? I'm not really sure. Um, but I was um, so both. I was both pleasantly surprised by how well the show was done and how also not totally craven <laughs> and depraved it was uh, by you know putting uh, they avoided like putting destitute people through a horrible ringer, um, but also disappointed by how it ended. So I don't know. Matt, Pete, do you have a reaction to that? Does that sound lame or does that sound interesting? It's it's interesting. It's it's tough to end a Squid Game. Oh yeah. It, it's tough to end a Battle Royale in general. Like the end of the Hunger Games is weird and bad, right? Like the Katniss probably shouldn't win the Hunger Games, or like the ending of the Battle Royale because the thing. Oh, and also like so if you well, had she to play does. Fortnite, I mean, she right? doesn't for what it's worth. Like in the first Hunger Games, it comes down to to her and Peta, and they do the trick with the. The poisonous berries, and in the second one, she's she's rescued. It's it's you know right Deus, Deus ex machina, and that's uh so you know oh, yeah, she never actually, never actually wins the Hunger Games, right? Like not not by any definition we would understand as as winning as you know good citizens of the capital, right? So, but like so in a battle royale, and you guys have played Fortnite at least once or twice, right? Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. So like in, in in other battle royales, in any sort of battle royale, um. Getting to the final few people is, I think, the part of the game that feels like the Battle Royale. And then when you're at the final few people, the game changes and becomes a different game. So if you're like me, the first thing you tried to do in Fortnite is just hide, right? And you got so excited when you made it to the final three or the final two because no one bothered to find you, right? And this is back when I played Fortnite, which was a little bit at the very beginning of it. Um, you know, playing Tetris 99 was another one I played a lot of, uh, where it's like, oh, I got to the last couple. I feel so good about myself. But then you're in, like, a one-on-one match against somebody who's, like, really good at Tetris, and it's like, okay, like, let's see how this works out. But but um, it loses its character. You know, like, like 
there's a challenge in making the end of the game feel like not just a climax, but as an extension of the game that you just played, especially if you have to take breaks. Because when I think of Fortnite and I think of uh, uh, Tetris 99, I think of other Battle Royale games like Mario 100, stuff like that. Um, the, the big part of the game is the crescendo into the finish. That the, the finish, the sort of energy should build and build and build and build and build. And then the, the end should be like a final confrontation that finishes the game. But in these shows, there are episodes and there are breaks, right? So like the, the, you have to restart the energy at the beginning of every episode with the people who are still there which you also have to do in fictional television shows based on them. So then the question is, where do you start the last episode of a Battle Royale show? I think it's, it's an interesting question. Did Squid Game start with two people left in the last episode? If I recall correctly, it started with three. Okay, because the final battle, yeah, because that would make sense because it matches the other, the real show or the fictional show. That was the real show. In Physical 100, they made it down to five. They basically got you to five, and I don't remember where the episode break is specifically, but the last contest is like one room, and it's four elimination challenges until you get to the last person that all have aesthetic and kind of equipment similarities and all take place in a sort of like Final Destination Smash Brothers space where it's like black all around and like a white platform on the ground. Um, and uh, and so like – but they get you to five, and each of the five is a credible winner except for the loser. Screw the loser. He was nobody. But it's like the strongest guy, the mountain survival guy who can hang off ropes forever, right? Like uh, the cyclist with incredible endurance, the crossfit, crossfit athlete who was good at, uh, at all the weird stuff uh, and also could run. And then like the loser. Um, <laughs> and so it's like, oh, each of these. Dude, it's not, finals- nice. not nice to call someone a loser. <laughs> I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you let me win physical 100? Why don't you kill me in the squid game? No, he did great. He, the loser did great. Uh, you could tell that if the fix was in, he would not have made it because he was up against somebody who was much more uh, uh, attractive as a final contestant and managed to beat him in an obstacle course race in a way that pissed a lot of people off. So I, I have full respect for the loser. Um, and now I'm spoiling things, of course, because now you know. But who's going who's gonna to actually watch this show? But then it's like, okay – this one of the, five of the four challenges is really bad for the strong man. This one of the four challenges is really bad for the mountain climber like this. And so it's basically like, can you survive the challenge that is that is against you? Can you get through the challenge where you are obviously not going to win? You know, like uh, and that's like the and that's how they meet out the like last few challenges. And it only really gets bad on the last challenge when they're down to two people and it's just pull a rope. And it's like, ah. Eh, I mean, it's tough to pull a rope, but like there, it lacks the drama. It lacks the decisiveness. It lacks the narrative. So like, is it a big rope? Is it, you yes. know, like, is there something heavy at the end of it? Like what, you know, what, what it is? A, it is a full on, maybe three inch thick rope that is attached to a giant spool. That's maybe like six or seven feet tall. And it's just, you just pull hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet of rope out of this giant spool. And it's whoever pulls the most rope. <laughs> until you and your arms get really tired and that's what happens uh but it's like not very visually impressive because everybody's like standing on a little manhole cover thing and just like pulling the rope through their legs like they're uh you know and, and so it lacks it lacks a lot uh, but what would you do because you can't pick something you can't make the last game the game that one contestant would obviously be the best at because then it feels like the fix is in which is i think part of the problem with the squid game that you watched mark which was like okay well if you make the last match really a fight, then it, whoever, if the person who makes it to the end is really strong, which is not a a quality that you, it's not a criteria for any of the other contests, right? I mean, I guess they have right. tug of war, but it's not a main criteria of a bunch of the other contests that you be strong. So, like, what's the point of letting people who aren't strong? I mean, that was one of the arguments about Physical 100 is, like, there are a bunch of women who make it very far in the contest, which it just seems impossible that these women would make it that far. Because they're competing against not just men, but, like, men who outweigh them by, like, 200, maybe 150 pounds of, like, pure muscle, right? These are, like, big dudes. And it's, like... Hold this rock above your head as long as you possibly can. And it's like a strongman, competitive strongman athlete. And when one of them is like a female, I wish she, I think, in the military or a swimmer. And it's like, come on, man. Like, she's not going to be able to hold the giant rock above her head as long as the other guy. Because he's like three sizes of her, right? Uh, It's just not fair. 
Uh, and then it's like, well, yeah, but the show's not fair. The show's kind of a dystopian hellscape. It's kind of Squid Game. The whole idea of who has the best body is itself problematic, right? But it's like those challenges, there were ways around them through the show. But when you get to the end, there's no way around it anymore. So you have to pick a final event for the for all the marbles if you really want to have the 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 drama in a sort of real life squid game battle royale situation whether it's a video game or whatever where like you have to have been able to get to this point and now it has to feel like a fulfillment of getting to this point and either you do it uninterrupted so it has a sense of climax or if you have to interrupt it you have to have some sort of poetry to it there has to be something about it that has something to say you know like it has to have like it has to have some sort of ironic twist on what's been going on up to this point you know, like it, I mean, it's surprised that the last challenge wasn't like, do you help the homeless man on the side of the road? <laughs> like, well, like everybody way should, outside the arena. And then like at some point, like somebody coughing horribly is going to collapse outside of the arena. And the person who helps them is the one who wins. <laughs> like they didn't actually oh, do that. Right. Because they're, like, they're, they're the strongest in their heart. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Because that happens this, in the Squid Game show. Yeah. This is why this is why Pete in the world's strongest man competition like the last thing you do okay you know you can do like an overhead press or whatever you can like deadlift yeah. something really heavy but the lie you know the last one or maybe it's just the last uh the last alphabetically here on this website i'm looking at the last is you pull an airplane with your body yeah. <laughs> you take well, an airplane well, and you pull it forward with your body you know, yeah. and you get a rope too. You get a harness <laughs> and a rope, you know, you're pulling the rope, but it's not like just through a pulley. You're pulling an airplane with your yeah. body. And that's, uh, you know, you need, you need the sense of, uh, I don't know. I feel like you need a sense. I, but I think like finding, finding someone who, you know, fi someone, do you help someone out on the street? Are you charitable? Right. Like is, is, um, a good one because you kind of, it kind of needs to seem, it it needs to have that Aristotle thing and be surprising yet inevitable, right? Like it needs to yeah. seem of, of a piece with the challenges that have come before, but also it needs to be uh, the one thing that's not like the not like the other ones. Exactly. It, it, that's it. Should be an ending. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I, I I agree. I agree. And so I I wondered with Physical One Hundred why they didn't do some sort of survival challenge, but they shot the whole thing. I think in like the same complex. So then it's like, well, where you take the cameras, you know, you can't go out on a mountain, like drop, like drop two people off of a helicopter on the top of a mountain and see who gets to the bottom first. But then I watched another show that did that and it was bad, uh, where it's like, oh, they're all it's teams and they're in the wilderness and they have to compete in these challenges. And it's like, this is stupid because it's like, oh, I'm walking in the river. How are we going to get the box out of the river? I'll get it. I got the best because they can't you can't make them do anything that's actually really dangerous. <laughs> right. Like it's like. And, and also just like walking around in mud, feeling bad about yourself is not like good television. Uh, although I guess maybe some people like that stuff. I don't know. Matt, what was the TV that you liked this year? Oh, sorry, Mark. But, but yeah, before, before I get to Matt, we, we should just very quickly, like, I'm not going to say like I can think of a better way to have ended the Squid Game reality competition. But yeah. the best that I can do at this point is, is say that, like, they could have given them the opportunity, the last two contestants, the opportunity to both split a reduced purse, reduced right. prize. Um, right. So you have true prisoner's dilemma there. And had they um, not come to an agreement um, to share, then of course they had to compete. Um, and, uh, but like rock, paper, scissors just felt uh, like uh, such a, a, a step down from yeah. the heightened drama from everything else. So I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how you would have fixed that. Because yeah, everything else had really good production value, right? Like just like, there yeah, was, there were yeah. sets, there were sets built for, for every everything right. else um i you know i well it's you know it's funny like pizza you guys are are talking about your your squid game thing my oh my tv thing is poker face i think poker face was brilliant it was like what, what's uh, poker face poker face was a uh a sort of an episodic like kind of columbo like it was largely um inspired by columbo i think uh the kind of mystery television show uh with that directed by Ryan Johnson uh featuring Natasha Leone as a uh as a like a person a kind of like kind of like down on her luck drifter type of person like going um 
you know, I don't know, like, uh, like night errant, like throughout the American landscape, driving, driving her classic car, uh, throughout, uh, all of America who has the, uh, the unique ability to just be able to tell when someone is lying and when someone is lying, she, she just says bullshit involuntarily. Uh, and, um, so it's, it's, uh, and she ends up stumbling across mysteries and like solving all of the mysteries. And there's kind of a loose story that, that ties them all together. But in general, it's like every episode is a new cast and a new story and a, you know, a new situation and, and, um, and, uh, and new, new mystery to solve. And it ends up being like, I think it's 10, uh, 10 episodes in the first season. And it's, it, and it's created by, by Ryan Johnson. I think a lot of it directed by him. And it's, it's like 10, there were 10 movies. They were just 10 delightful, uh, 10 delightful movies. And I, you know, I don't know. I see so much television that seems like it's, it's sort of, extruded out of like the Plato fun factory of, of television creation. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll give a prize, uh, for the worst television show, uh, that I saw this year. And I watched all of it, obviously, because I hate myself, but the, um, it's, it's, a uh, obliterated on Netflix. You get either of you familiar with obliterated, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess not. No, 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 I hadn't heard of it. Sounds like you both have self respect. Um, I watch, uh, you know, I watch action television shows on uh, in a little corner on my computer screen when I'm doing light administrative work, which seems to, you know, like uh, seems to be a lot. Uh, and and uh, it's nice to just have some like some sound and some commotion <laughs> going on to, to get my brain occupied while I'm like filling out like compliance questionnaires or whatnot, and. Uh, and uh, so I found this one on on Netflix. Here's here's the premise. What if a special ops team made of a made up of a bunch of hot people who can barely stand each other take down the biggest terrorist plot with a nuclear bomb and then have a fun night in Vegas? But it turns out that they didn't get the nuclear bomb and they have to go get the nuclear bomb, but they're all hung over from their fun night in Vegas. And that's the, that's the plot of, uh, of like 40 or 50 episodes of television. Jesus, um, 40 or 50 episodes. I was thinking no, that's like I'm 24, exa- but it starts 12 hours in. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's fatigued already. Like he really wants yeah. a nap, you know, he really wants a nap and he can't take one. No, it's, uh, it's, it's like, I don't know, eight episodes or something like that. It just feels like 40 or 50 episodes. And it's, it's so bad. And it's also like, it's a, uh, it is an R rated comedy. It's like made to be raunchy and there's a lot of like toplessness. And, and I think you see a penis or two. Um, uh, in the in the thing, and it's just it's just so bad. It's extruded out of the Plato Fun Factory of of uh, of television, and and man, I have watched some like I have watched some really formulaic stuff in my my quest to just you know have a little have a little noise and motion. I'm like a I'm like a baby with a mobile, you know, like uh uh like I want to I want to I want to just some like fun lights and motion and you know my mouth opens and closes involuntarily as I type away uh answering emails. Um but the the uh you know no 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 but, but poker face was this wonderful every every episode was this beautiful little bespoke jewel box. They all hung together but they were all different visually stylistically uh really like natasha leone as an actress really you know um good good thing highly 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 recommend that's my you know that's my my television one but i like i was thinking like my my big thing the big story like oh 2023 is the year when matt x right like the the story of my life it it's going to be one particular thing. You know what it is, Pete, don't you? Like 2023, 23 is the year that Matt started. Weightlifting. That's, yeah, that is correct. 
Yes. I thought, I thought yes. you were going to say going to Taylor Swift concerts. Totally. Yeah. I, I also had my first Taylor Swift concert. It might be my last. I don't, I don't imagine it can be, it can be topped. And, um, yeah. And I, I've also experienced it in, in the, the movie theater. Speaking of uh, creating a sense of moment around your film release and also, uh, streaming. But yeah, no, I started like, uh, weightlifting with a, with a trainer, like doing, um, doing resistance training. And like, I'm going to tell you, Pete, you Google, like, uh, you know, Kelly Starrett posted posterior tibial tendonitis once you watch a couple of videos and your YouTube becomes like full on like Ford <laughs> F-150s and phrenology. Like that's that, like two videos. But I've Kelly watching... Starrett isn't red-pilled. He Not just at all. He, stretch. He, for goodness sake, he lives in San Francisco. <laughs> like, like, like he wears tights. Like, like for, for goodness sake, this is like a, a this is a really good, uh, really good, like physical therapist, uh, kind of like exercise science guy uh, that I found because like I, I, my goals in, in starting weightlifting as a 43 year old man is not to get swole. It's to like slow the decline. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, and the, there's a whole other part of that, which is like mobility, flexibility, like all, all of those things. And this, you know, really fall down, uh, really fall down on these though. You know, Pete, you'll be, you'll be glad to know. I can now like, I can now like squeeze my lats at will, which I never used to be able to do. <laughs> yeah, I can tell, I can tell from the podcast, the way your voice has been resonating, that there's been some, uh, scapular retraction right, that you were yeah. previously my incapable back, of. My back is so brave. Pete, the erector spine I are creating. Are you doing that thing where you're in your chair and you're putting one hand over your stomach and one hand over your sternum like Kelly Starrett does? And it's like, you got to hold like this. And then he collapses forward. He goes like this. And then he collapses forward. It's, it's like, actually a really uh, good teaching tool. I mean, as a, as a computer worker, I have the whole thing where my, my hips spend like 20 hours a day in flexion. Like right. it's, you know, my shoulders are internally rotated. I get the same thing because I sleep in a fetal position, just sort of weeping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have real tight hip flexors. <laughs> I like, and it turns out I, I really like it. Like, and it's funny, like I don't, I don't gym bro. Like, like I don't talk to anyone. I want people not to talk to me. I don't listen to podcasts or music. Like it's, it's almost like a meditation time for me where the like, you know, generally like one big compound lift per workout and then like three or four kind of accessory exercises. And that takes 45 or 50 minutes, you know, well, but if you rest between them and are actually working heavy enough to, to get any kind of stimulus and like, I, I don't know. I like it, man. Like I, I never, I, I was the ultimate indoor kid, you know. I was like, uh, I was a, I was a, a bookish, bookish child. No one ever saw this coming uh, for me. But I like, I don't know the the amount of not hurting all the time um, that it has improved for me. Like the the amount of like uh, just kind of feeling feeling freer. I don't know. The other day I was, uh, the other day I was taking clothes out of the dryer and I was like, Oh wow, I'm in a full squat now. And I'm just like comfortable hanging out here. And that never, uh, that never was the case before. So I don't know, like, uh, especially if you're like, if you've been with us for a while and you might be, you might be getting into the fifth decade of uh, fifth decade of your life. I kind of can't recommend it highly enough, but do not. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not pursue your curiosity about this topic on YouTube. <laughs> because if you do, I swear to God, it's light beer and like race science that you're going to get in the, 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 uh, the recommended, the recommended thing, right? Like, um, yeah. Any, anyway. So that's, uh, I, yeah, my, my YouTube got red pilled and I was, I was like talking. I, I also, if you're, if you're me and you've, you've waited, you know, four decades to, to start doing it, work with a trainer or else you're going to hurt yourself really badly. And so um, my trainer was like recommending things that I could, that I could watch. That's why I know what the world's strongest man contest even, even they is. They want to sell you supplements, Matt. That's really the connection. Is they yeah. all want to sell you like, oh, you feel bad about your testosterone. You should take this herbal nonsense or like take this, you know, off-brand thing. And it's like they're all they all are trying to like it's kind of funny that it goes that way, right? It's like they're trying to market you like there's like <laughs> 
conspiracy theorists who make their money selling supplements to middle-aged men. Uh, and, and because you're a, a middle-aged man like me who might be a target person for supplements, you then become a target person for conspiracy theories retroactively, even though you are, in fact, not a very good target for conspiracy theories. Uh, it's uh, sort of the marketing people are getting their three P's a little bit mixed up there. I think that they need to work on their customer journey a little bit from uh, from end to end. The targeting is off. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Pete, that I I worked for for a hot minute for a a um, celebrity led lifestyle brand which sells supplements to a very different demographic. Oh yeah, and the and the 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 gym bros like I like I suppose it was you were you would have been an essential worker right in the oil field. Um, so yeah, man, like, uh, like resistance training. I, I, I don't know. I, I highly recommend it. You don't need to, you don't even need to get, you don't even need to get crazy with it, but like the amount that it has, that it has made my day to day life, uh, better is kind of, kind of remarkable to, to behold. So that's my, uh, that's my, that's my 2023, 2023 pick there. All right. Okay. Quick, uh, quick 2024, looking forward to New Year's resolution or something, something forward looking, uh, from everybody before we pull the, before we pull the ripcord, uh, on this, uh, on this great, great year. Mark, uh, what, what do you got for us? Um, I will throw caution to the wind and say that I am optimistic for Gladiator 2. Does that make me a basic bro? <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. That, 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 a, that I love Gladiator, and B, that I'm looking forward to Gladiator 2. Well, I mean, you know, with the success of Napoleon, you know, the crew is in fine form. Oh, sure. I mean, absolutely, yeah. Was the point successful? I'm not no, even sure. It was highly sarcastic. It wasn't. Oh, okay. It was highly okay. All right. okay. I, I thought you were going to say with the um, with the... Um, rapid uh, with the how how in vogue the Roman Empire and thinking about it is these days. Gladiator <laughs> two are sure to be a success. I mean, every, we were always thinking about the thinking about the Roman Empire. Pete, you got you got something for uh, you got something for the next year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I could either go sincere or I could go total nonsense or I could go like more obscure than anyone would care about. I will say this. One of the last movies that I saw in the theater, I believe, before COVID was, I believe, Bad Boys for Life. And there is another Bad Boys movie coming out next year. <laughs> and I know that just as with that last one, I will also see this one. And so I wanted to cheer for that. But really, speaking of Bad Boys, I would want to see Deadpool 2. That, I'm really excited. Or Deadpool 3. Deadpool I'm really 3, excited. Yeah. Deadpool 3. Yeah, I'm super, super psyched for it. I'm super psyched for Hugh Jackman being in it. I'm super psyched to see what they do with it. It's super funny. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, so I guess, and then I guess to throw in the obscure thing, um, the uh, Navigator's Children is coming out at, the next year. It got pushed back a year. And this is a fantasy book that I'm excited about because it's the end of the second half of a fantasy saga that I very much enjoy that I've talked about on the podcast before. So it's the end. It's the last book of the last King of Austin Ard series, which is the sequel to memory, sorrow and thorn by Tad Williams, which is by, by even superficial reading a very direct inspiration for the whole song of ice and fire game of Thrones thing. Uh, I talked about it on our podcast called the dragon bookmark a number of years ago, and it's actually going to be finished. So winds of winter, we're never going to get that. Don't worry about it. But uh, if you've been excited for an end to the Austin Ard saga after, Forty years, uh, then uh, then you will be excited for the Navigator's Children to come out, and so I'm excited for that. I've been excited for a book to come out a long freaking time, man, long freaking time. But I'm excited. What I about you? I, yeah, I'm the I'm the last one, I guess. I I uh, I hope that we get a Shetland season nine in uh, in. <laughs> What, is that a dog? Is that a dog or a pony? <laughs> a pony. Season no, it's a uh, it's a dog a, pony show. Is what you're it's saying. a British crime drama. It's a it's a set oh. in the Shetland Islands in in Scotland, and uh, I know that they have been um, they've been uh, shooting it. Uh, I guess um, you know the BBC the the main character left after after season eight or series eight as they call it in their language, uh, but the uh, but uh, Shetland season season nine is is coming out and this is this is my stretch goal. I would like to see uh, I would like to see Stuart Lee's new 
uh, new hour called Basic Lee, which is touring around all next year. I would like to see it in person. So that's my stretch goal. Uh, doesn't seem likely given the way things are going, but that's, that's my stretch goal. If I can't, if I can't get that British entertainer, then Shetland season nine will have to, uh, have to do for me. Well, uh, should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot in days of old Lang Syne for old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne, we'll podcast another hour yet, uh, four days of old Lang Syne. Thanks very much for hanging out with us through all of 2023 and for many years before. And, uh, you know, here's to, uh, here's to what we got going on in 2024. Uh, thanks also, Pete and Mark, for podcasting. Uh, the stalwarts make this this fun every week. And hey, let's come back next week for more Overthinking It. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. And if you're a premium Overthinking It member, you know that come November 2024, you will receive somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two hours, a dedicated podcast about Venom 3. Yes. (laughs) The greatest buddy duo in in superhero uh, avant-garde acting is making its appearance again. Uh, and who knows what they'll do this time, but I'm sure it will be worth overthinking. Uh, that's for sure. Wow. That's the stretchiest stretch goal of all. <laughs> Call Kelly Starrett. <laughs>